0: Are you running short of gift ideas for the approaching holiday season? Consider giving a paperback copy of The Sheila Stories, a novel of adventure and romance that is sure to warm the reader's heart. The Sheila Stories is available on Amazon. Welcome to the Sheila Stories, which relate the life of an Australian woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I'm Pat Kelly, your host and storyteller. Now, to get us all back up to speed, in the last episode we heard the story Cape May, in which Sheila and Jesse decided to move to the beach town of Cape May, New Jersey, so Jesse could focus on writing a novel. In the meantime, Sheila would buy a worn-down Victorian home with the intention of fixing it up and opening an inn. In today's episode, we will hear the story off script, in which Sheila will open the inn and Jesse will try his hand at writing a movie screenplay for Hollywood. Off script. The waiter wore a gold jacket, a white shirt, and a red tie. He placed fresh rolls and a butter dish on the table. Kate took a healthy sip of a martini, a matching drink for her black, low-cut top and pearl necklace. Jesse sat opposite Sheila at the Palm in New York. They had ridden the train up from Philadelphia to celebrate the success of his novel. Scribner's had ordered a third printing already. It was the week before Memorial Day of 1949. The lobster is excellent here, said Reed, perusing the menu. But I think I'll have steak. What about you, dear? Let's not rush it, said Kate. We've just gotten our cocktails. Of course. No rush. Reed smirked. Kate thinks I hurry too much, like I'm in a race of some kind. Kate's lips turned up in the hint of a smile. Smell the roses, dear. He nodded at the wisdom of the cliché and turned toward Jesse. Have you considered the movie idea? The book had paid a small advance, but since then the royalties had begun to flow, a bigger check with each passing month. They'd stayed in Cape May, with Jessie writing every day while she managed the various contractors who worked on the house. He had nearly finished his second book, a crime novel featuring Irish gangsters in South Philly. His editor had asked to see the first draft and offered a larger advance this time. Jesse's writing career was well on its way. A movie adaptation would bring more money and more fame, but he had told her he had mixed feelings about it. He swallowed bourbon, grimaced, and lifted his eyes i thought of little else since you brought it up. And, said Reed, a movie sounds great, but I worry about what the script writers will do to the story. They'll give it a Hollywood feel-good ending. Happy endings sell tickets, said Kate. Jesse wrinkled his nose. Sheila thought of a possible solution. Maybe Reed can cut a deal, giving you control over the final script. But Reed said, "Ah, the, the producers would never agree to that. Jesse's lips clamped. Kate glared at Reed. You sure can kill a party. His head snapped too. You're right. We're here to celebrate. No more talk of business. Let's have champagne. Kate drained her drink. Well, if you insist. I do. I do. The moment of tension passed and they relaxed into dinner. Sheila had the lobster, Kate chose salmon, and the men ate steaks. After the champagne, they drank wine. They skipped dessert, but lingered over coffee. Sheila's day had begun with the dawn. The nursery had delivered flowers at 7 a.m., and she had scrambled to plant them all before cleaning up for the trip. Her inn would officially open with the coming holiday. She had booked seven of the eight rooms, but held the suite back for her friend, Flossie Parker, and her family. Reed turned his coffee cup around and around on the saucer without taking a sip. Kate offered her view of the shows on Broadway. They planned to attend one the next night. Sheila struggled to suppress a yawn. Jesse had rallied with the food and wine, and she felt sure he'd want to stop for a nightcap in the hotel bar. Suddenly, Reed leaned toward Jesse, his eyes eager. You should write the script. He paused to moisten his lips. That's the best way to influence the movie. We can't control the producers, but if you're involved working the revisions, you can sell them on the better ending. Kate glanced at Reed and then Sheila. She opened her mouth to say something, but changed her mind. I don't know anything about writing a movie script, said Jesse. No one does until they do it, said Reed. Come to L.A. next week. We'll pitch the producers. They love to meet writers. Can I come, said Kate. Of course, said Reed. Sheila, too. We'll make it a party. Jesse reached to squeeze her hand, his eyes all fired up. What do you think, dear? Should we give it a try? Just like Jesse, to get excited about the next thing. He loved the buzz of anticipation, like a boozer loved his first drink. I can't, she said. I'm opening the inn this weekend. Guests are coming. The brightness on his face dimmed. Yes, the inn. You can't miss the opening. You've worked so hard. But you should go, she said. This is a great opportunity for your career. A movie. That's huge. No, 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 I can't leave you for such a long time. My work will keep me busy anyway. Crazy busy, with all sorts of tasks to get done. You go with Reed. I'll be fine. At the end of the summer... The Parkers returned to Cape May. Freddy was six, Abby was four, and Peggy, two. They went to the beach the first day, and Freddie splashed in the waves with his father, Jimmy. Jimmy held Freddy by the hands and lifted him above the water whenever a big wave came. Sheila and Abby dug a hole in the sand using big clamshells while Flossie and the baby took naps. Abby sang in a high voice and formed a mound. She had lost all her baby fat and was tall for her age. I'm making a farm, she said. How nice, said Sheila. Yes, it's going to be very nice, and I will have horses and goats and cows. I used to raise cattle, said Sheila. Milk comes from cows, said Abby. She nodded, as if to assure Sheila this strange statement was true. And I had sheep as well, said Sheila hundreds of sheep. Abby's eyes grew big. Sheep? We raised them for their wool. Did you know the wool in your winter sweaters comes from sheep? Abby tilted her head and giggled. The waves crashed and salty air blew from the ocean. She had done well with the inn that summer, but for the hundredth time, she wished Jessie were in Cape May. Reed and Jesse had sold the movie after a month of meetings with studio executives. Jesse had stayed on to write the script under a four-week deadline. With revisions, the four weeks had stretched to six and then eight. He had promised to return before September, and she expected him to call that night with the particulars of his arrival. Maybe with the movie complete, he'd want to start the family. His career seemed assured now, They had plenty of money, and at the age of 32, she didn't wish to wait any longer. She wanted to play in the sand and the waves with her own kids, to teach them how to swim and to fish. At dusk, Sheila and Flossie sat on the porch and watched Freddie play hide-and-seek with the other guest's children. The sound of the phone ringing came through the open window, and she walked inside. Jessie wasn't coming home that week. I've sold another movie, he said, The Crime Story, and they want the script in five weeks. Can you come here? I have bookings through all of September, she said. Darn. He sounded disappointed but not surprised. Perhaps her future lay in California. The producers obviously like your work, she said. It's hectic, he said. Things change from one day to the next. Projects heat up and then go cold. Stories are optioned but then ignored. Should I sell the inn and move out to LA? I don't know, he said. One day I love it here and the next day I can't stand it. Some days I want to return to Cape May and spend the rest of my life writing books. Sounds good to me, she said. You write the books and I'll raise the kids. Reed and Kate arrive tomorrow, he said. Kate's coming? Yes, I thought I mentioned it. Reed's pitching another movie, wants me to tag along as the writer. If Reed was bringing Kate, why hadn't Jesse asked her to come earlier? Maybe he knew she'd decline because she had to remain at the end. Selling the business and moving west seemed like the right answer. Jesse said, I'll ask Reed what he thinks about me staying out here full time. He always seems to help me sort things out. The connection was scratchy, but he still sounded like Jesse. For a moment, she recalled the first time she'd seen him, in his uniform, standing in the doorway of an office with a smile on his face. She wanted to be next to him, to caress the muscles in his arms and back, to touch his face and to kiss him. Yes, the time had come to say goodbye to Cape May. She couldn't stand to be apart much longer. In early November, she sat at a table in the brown room of Congress Hall and ordered a glass of wine. The place was nearly empty, and no piano music played. Kate Orenstein had surprised her by calling that afternoon. I'm in Cape May for the night. Would you join me for dinner? Of course. But why didn't you call sooner? Stay with me. I have plenty of room. No, I I couldn't. I came here to meet someone on the spur of the moment. Oh, that sounds awful. But, well, I'll explain later. Which of course left Sheila wondering. Was Kate having an affair? Was her marriage to Reed in danger? Jesse had mentioned on their last call that Reed was in L.A. The Orensteins had always bickered, but Sheila perceived those mild arguments as their way of communicating. Their dissimilarities fit together like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. She recalled the first time the four of them had met together, right here in this bar. The air had buzzed with the promise of adventure. She wished Jesse and Reed could join them now, that they could have a drink and then a long dinner like they had three years ago. She wished Kate's mystery didn't exist. Jesse had come home for the second half of September. They made up for lost time with walks on the beach and sunsets on the tip of the Cape. He was excited about his work in L.A. The fast pace fit his nature. He liked the constant motion, changing settings, and new people. He told stories about some of the stars he'd met. Veterans like Jesse, who were relative newcomers in Hollywood. So, you want to be an actor now, she had said. Oh, God, no. I'd freeze in front of the camera. And the attention these guys get? People stop them on the street and ask for their autographs. They'd had a wonderful visit, and she had wished they could remain in Cape May, with him writing every day and her running the inn. But then he had flown back to California. They were shooting the movie based on his first book and needed him there to work rewrites at night. She sipped her wine and was surprised to find the glass almost empty. Kate entered the room, dressed in brown slacks and a long-sleeved white shirt. Her hair pulled back. The waitress followed Kate to the table and took her order for a martini. Kate immediately lit a cigarette, which was unlike her. She rarely smoked, once or twice during an entire evening, and not until after dinner. You look as fresh as the outdoors, said Kate. How do you manage it? I fabricate my appearance like an artist painting a canvas. But you? Your beauty is as natural as the color of the fall leaves. Sheila laughed. But you're stunning. As always, she said, you should be a fashion model. This led Kate to discuss her theory about how capitalism and fashion were made for each other. The fashion houses design new looks every year. Not to meet women's needs, but to stimulate their desires. When women bought the clothes, they generated profit, and that drove the fashion houses to design more apparel. Capitalism enabled women to wear pretty clothes. For proof, you need only observe the communists' attire, drab, gray, and baggy. Through two cocktails and all of dinner, Kate carried on about various cosmopolitan topics, theater, Politics and highbrow gossip. She kept smoking, lighting up with each drink and between courses. Why was Kate in Cape May? Who was the mysterious someone she had come to meet? Sheila did not wish to pry, but perhaps she could nudge the conversation in the right direction. How's Reed? she said. Kate blinked several times, and even though it didn't need it, she tapped her cigarette on the ashtray. He's fine. Spending a lot of time in L.A. And then it hit Sheila. How slow she was to catch on. Who did you come to meet, she asked. Kate's eyes darted to nearby empty tables. It's me, isn't it? You came to tell me something. Kate took a deep breath. I have to be careful. As Reed's wife, I learn things. He tells me things. Things about his clients. I can't tell anyone those secrets. If word ever got out that Reed's wife blabbed a lot, it would cost him business. He would be cross with me. Terribly cross. Sheila pulled her hands into her lap. Her palms rubbed against each other. The banana on the dessert dish looked old, like the chef should have thrown it out. Ever heard of Mary Wakefield, said Kate? No. She's an actress, coming up fast. According to the gossip columns, she never dates co-stars. Finds it difficult to work together after sleeping together. She favors the men behind the camera. Producers. Directors. Screenwriters. Sheila picked Jesse up at the train station in Atlantic City. It took roughly an hour to drive back to Cape May. He had it all figured out. Things are starting to happen for me in Hollywood. If you can write a good story and know the right people, the work is steady. Good, she said. She played along, but her stomach felt like she'd eaten a handful of rusty nails. The way I figure it, he said, I can split my time between L.A. and here. In Cape May, I'll work on my next novel. Out West, I'll do the screenplays. She pursed her lips. That sounds good, but it's about to get cold here. Maybe I should close the house and move out for the winter. She glanced over. He flashed a smile, but his hands rubbed his thighs like maybe he was nervous. Great, he said. When can you come? Couple weeks. So soon, he said. Don't see why not. I have no bookings after Thanksgiving. What about the holidays, he said. I don't have to open for the holidays. I could stay with you until late March. Might even try surfing some California waves. I understand they've picked it up out there. Good, he said. Great. He squinted out the window, but she sensed he wasn't focused on the scenery. Back at the house, she fixed cocktails and they sat in the parlor. The radiators had overheated the room and she cracked a window for the cool air. She sat on the sofa, and Jesse sat in an armchair. On the coffee table between them lay a copy of Off Script magazine. His eyes grazed over it, and then they snapped back. His shoulders stiffened. You subscribe to Offscript now, he said. The guests love it. I'm surprised. Her heart hurtled like a runaway train. She had resisted the urge to confront him through the mail or on the phone. Why? An accusing tone crept into her voice. Did you think I couldn't get off script in Cape May? His forehead wrinkled, and he regarded her gingerly, as if he didn't grasp her point. Have you seen this issue? She asked. No. There's an interesting column on page 32. Care to read it? Maybe later. Here. I'll read it for you. She'd left a bookmark in the right place. The bombshell Mary Wakefield continues to cut a wide swath through both the famous and not-so-well-known of Hollywood. After high-profile dalliances with Dirk Williams and Hugh Wilde, her latest conquest is a newly-arrived writer from Philadelphia, Jesse Flynn, no relation to Errol. Over the course of the last month, Mary has been seen with Flynn at several hotspots, Sea Rose, Macombo, and the Brown Derby. She glared at him. He ran his hands through his hair. The story goes on to speculate the affair will flame out quickly, as has been the case with Miss Wakefield's other trysts. Nothing happened, he blurted. She struggled to keep from shouting. Don't lie to me. You could never lie well. His chin dropped and he looked away. I'm sorry. I don't know how. I I, I got caught up in everything. Bastard? It's over. I I swear. It'll never happen again. Listen to yourself. Her voice was laced with cynicism. If you slept with Mary Wakefield, a high-profile figure, you probably slept with someone else too, didn't you? He squeezed his eyes like he never wanted to see again. His hand covered his mouth. And if you broke our vows before... You'll do it again. He shook his head. No, no. But he said nothing else. He didn't get on his knees to beg as she'd imagined he might, as she'd hoped he would. After learning the awful truth from Kate, she'd spent long hours thinking about her marriage, about the nature of her love for Jesse. She had never loved him the way she loved Colin. Her love for Colin was as solid as a stone able to withstand any test. Her love for Jesse had higher highs and lower lows. It was mercurial, explosive, fast, but perhaps not as durable. I suppose we'd better arrange a divorce, she said. No, he said, panicking now. Unlike her, he hadn't had time to get used to the idea of a permanent split. We can fix this. We can work this out. Are you sure? she asked. Yes, he nodded vigorously, gaining enthusiasm as he sensed she might agree to try. I know we can make it work. Is that what you want? I'm willing to try to fix our marriage. But do you really want to make it work? His head kept bobbing, fiercely at first, then slower, then not at all. His eyes told the truth. I'm not surprised, she said but I refuse to call our marriage a failure. We had four great years, but it's over now. I'll hire a lawyer. I have a problem, he said. No kidding, she said. Catholics don't believe in divorce. It had never occurred to her that religion would enter the picture. How silly. You should have thought of that before. Natalie sits hunched with her arms around her knees. But I like Jesse, she says. I thought he was a good guy. I liked him too, I say. I don't understand what happened, says April. I'm formulating an answer when Natalie jumps in. He had a girlfriend on the side, she says. And when you're married, you don't do that. Oh, April considers this and then turns to me. Why did he do that? I don't know. I say. I guess some people get married before they're ready to get married. And some people should never get married at all. But they don't understand that beforehand. Maybe it's a sign, says Natalie. Sheila shouldn't have married another man. Not after Colin. She should only love one man. Oh, no. Not that. Is that what I've taught them? I kneel between the two beds and reach to hold a hand of each girl. This is important, I say. Sheila didn't do anything wrong. She loved Jesse. Many people remarry after their first spouse dies. Those second marriages often last many years, longer than the first. And the couples have children together, and they're happy. Sheila's second marriage ended because Jesse wasn't faithful. Pure and simple. Will you ever get married again? Says April. Wow. These kids move fast. They cut to the heart of a matter without giving me time to breathe. Why has she asked this question now? The pressure of her fingers in my hand has not changed. Her face displays no thinly disguised fear, only the innocence of an eight-year-old. Natalie's extra two years often give her a more mature outlook on the world, but at the moment... Her expression shows only curiosity. I'm not sure, I say. Maybe. Someday. What would you think if I did? She would have to be nice, says April. You deserve someone nice. More importantly, says Natalie, you would need to make sure you love her and that your love would last forever. Don't be a jerk like Jessie. Pearls like these make me wonder at the stupidity of adults. Perhaps we are all born wise and only achieve ignorance by stumbling through one mistake after another. I kiss them good night, walk to my room, sit on the bed, and pick up Julie's picture. She never changes at all. Her smile is genuine. I've tried to keep her alive with my monk-like stance toward the world. A mission she would never have supported. She knew the earth turned and the sun rose and set and the stars never aligned no matter what you did. Facts were facts. Love was love. But you always kept moving forward. On the porch, I sit on a rocker and try to recreate the faithful conversation with Chris. Was it here or in the kitchen? Who said what to whom? Baseball was referenced at some point. I remember that much. What a knucklehead. How did I ever screw that up? Okay. That's the end of the episode off script, and we've covered a lot of ground. Now, this is a sad story, it's depressing. Think for a moment of everything Sheila did for Jesse along the way. On the same day that the war ended, he asked her to marry him. She agreed because she loved him. And then she moved 10,000 miles from her home to be with him. Now she's adjusted to American culture and a completely new world. Then she used money that she had made earlier in her life to support his dream of becoming a novelist. Now that he's successful, he goes out to Hollywood and cheats on her. What a jerk. And this is exactly the girl's reaction after the story. It's a bit heartbreaking. And what does Jesse have to say for himself? I got caught up in everything. Well, Sheila's got an answer for that. Divorce. Now, part of of this story has to do with Jesse going out to Hollywood a lot. And I got a little curious about Hollywood after the war, and I did some research on that subject. It turns out a number of Hollywood actors served in the armed forces in World War II and then came back to careers in film. I checked it out, and I found a few names that, you, you might, uh, that might be familiar to you. Charles Bronson, Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, Jackie Coogan, Tony Curtis, and Clark Gable. Now, this is not meant to be a complete list. They they were just ones that I came across very quickly. And there were many others, I'm sure. Feel free to add names in the comments. In the next episode, we will hear the story Cold, in which Sheila will confront a harsh Cape May winter and meet a fellow year-rounder named Dot Flagg. Now I'd like to take a moment to promote my writing, if I may. The the end-of-the-year holidays are fast approaching, and you'll want to buy gifts for your friends and family. If you're struggling to find just the right present for your sister or mother or daughter or girlfriend, think about getting them a paperback copy of the Sheila stories. It is certain to warm their hearts. The novel has received excellent reviews on Amazon. Here's what one reviewer had to say. The vivid descriptions place the reader in the midst of everything happening. This is one of the best stories about a person's life I have read in the past two years. Another reviewer said, I enjoyed every word and had difficulty putting the book down. Great characters and a wonderful glimpse into Australian history. You can find the book on Amazon by searching for The Sheila Stories by Patrick Kelly. On today's episode, we had music by Cinemedia and sound effects by Noise Creations and Zapsplat.com. Thank you, friends. I'll be back soon, bye now.